Episode 3 of Poem Life, Strong Girls and Young Years. For Christmas in 1968, my Aunt Dorse gave us kids a book called Young Years, Best Love Stories and Poems for Little Children. I knew the year because Aunt Dorse inscribed it on the inside cover. I have that book today. The binding is held together with red electrical tape. The illustrated cover depicts a lively scene including miscellaneous characters from inside the book. They're all gathered together for some bizarre occasion. There's Mother Goose, the old woman in the shoe, Little Bo Peep, one of the pigs from the Three Little Pigs. Right in the middle is Cinderella's pumpkin coach. There's Alice in Wonderland and Aladdin and a host of animals from nursery rhymes. The cover art has this gash on it about a half inch wide all the way across the cover and in the gash, it says, Sean was here. And it's written in my chunky, early cursive writing. This book, and so many others we had in our house, was a gift to my budding poetic sensibilities. As an adult, I could still visualize some of the illustrations that accompanied the rhymes and stories in young years, and they found their way into my poetic life. In 2015, when I wrote and starred in my one-woman show, Poem Life, a major part of the narrative in that show rested on memories of the illustrations for Beauty and Beast in this book. The beast is grotesque with huge tusks, the beauty so completely passive and loving. The story of the monster and the woman who must save him is as old as time and continually retold in a different way in poems, books, and movies. I remember reading and looking at this book constantly. I read every part of it and it was divided into sections called nursery rhymes, nursery stories, fables, fairy tales, and poetry. The poetry section had more pieces than any of the others. The nursery rhymes entranced me. The lovely mother swinging her baby in the cradle, hanging from the tree branch, and the rhyme telling us the branch is going to break and the baby is going to crash to the ground. It doesn't even say if the branch breaks. It goes like this. hush a baby on the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bough breaks, the cradle will fall. Down will come baby, bow cradle and all. That's just messed up. The mother in the illustration looks so happy. Old Mother Hubbard ain't got nothing in her cupboard. Little Bo Peep was a crappy shepherdess. Little Miss Muffet can't eat a simple little undisturbed meal. The old woman in the shoe had so many children she blah blah blah. Peter Peter pumpkin eater kept his wife inside a pumpkin shell. Well, you get the picture. According to Young Years, Life for Females was hell. I think I must have loved this book partly because I had it made compared to everyone in it. Besides Beauty and the Beast, the other stories that stuck with me were Hansel and Gretel, Snow White, and Rumpelstiltskin. In one of the illustrations for Hansel and Gretel, Hansel is doubled over in a cage, so small he is squatting in it, 
while the witch, dressed all in red, all the way up to her pointy hat, which was also red, stares down at him with hunger. But the illustration that is even more horrifying is the first one in the story that shows the mother and the father leading their children off into the woods to abandon them. In the picture, Hansel has stopped behind them. They're still moving forward, and he's half turned toward back toward the house. In his hand are the stones he has started dropping. In this version of the story, the first time the parents try to abandon the children, Hansel filled his pockets with stones to leave them a trail back. But when he tried to do the same a second time, his stepmother, yeah, it's always the stepmother, locked the door and he couldn't get out in the night to gather the stones. As a child who was never abandoned in any way, I was drawn to this story. I could not fathom what it would be like to be unwanted. Many of my preteen poems were about being unwanted. Taking a cue from stories like Hansel and Gretel, I sensed that poetry had to be as dark and unfamiliar. Now the poetry section of Young Years includes a plethora of poems that are either written for children or the editors think children should read and are therefore not something children would enjoy. Where the Bee Sucks by William Shakespeare is an example. Where the bee sucks, there suck I. In a cowslip's bell I lie. There I couch when owls do cry. On the bat's back I do fly. After summer, merrily, 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 shall I live now under the blossom that hangs on the bough. Whatever, says ten-year-old Sean. The girls and the women in the poetry section, just like in the other sections of the book, are stupid and lifeless, or stupid and ineffectual, or stupid and dependent. A poem titled, A Boy's Song, details all the fun the boys are doing, uh, all the fun stuff they get to do, but there's no equivalent for the girls. None of the poems in the book even stand out in my memory. It's not the poems. So why did this book have such an impression on me? And, you know, how did I still grow up to be an, an intelligent, independent woman? Um, there's evidence, obviously, that one's real physical role models are much more important than those from literature. I grew up around strong women, my Aunt Doris included. But this is not to say that young years didn't shape my imaginative and therefore my writing life. As, as I mentioned, the theme of abandonment and Hansel and Gretel and the longing for the dark side, which is what Beauty and the Beast is really all about, are themes that continually appeared in my poetry from adulthood on. A major device of nursery rhymes is repetition. Here we go round the mulberry bush, the mulberry bush, the mulberry bush. Hickory dickory dock, the mouse ran up the clock. The clock struck one and down he run. Hickory dickory dock. 
Old King Cole was a merry old soul, and a merry old soul was he. Wait, what was he? Was he merry? Was he really merry? Um, yeah, I guess he was. A child would not get aggravated with that kind of repetition. It, it's almost necessary for comprehension to repeat lines. As an adult poet, repetition is still used for rhythm, but it also adds a different purpose at times to develop a theme, to emphasize an image. I think poets who use a lot of repetition, which I tend to do, may have a strong background in the traditional nursery rhymes and also maybe the jump rope songs of our young years. On a piece of spiral notebook paper that's brown now with age, I have a poem in my preteen cursive writing that is actually an unusual one for me. The handwriting, the lack of punctuation, the brownness of the page, and more things make Her Okay, just busting the third or fourth wall here. My phone went off. I didn't have it turned off, obviously, and I'm not starting over, and I'm not making another tape. I'm just going to get right back in on this. Okay, so I was talking about this poem that was um, brown with age. It was probably written in 1975 or so when I would have been 13. The form is unusual because the lines are very short, usually only one word or two, at most three words on a line. And the poem is all written in phrases and not sentences, and it includes repetition for various effects. And also unusual for me is that it's untitled. I have very few poems, I don't have any anymore, that I would leave untitled. And here it is. Fast Moving Cars Tangled feet, webbed together on the silent cement, closed in behind the bars, civilization so far away. Wake me up, wake me up, stop the drummer, do it now, sleep, sleep. Clang bang, shuffling feet, keep away, close the door, but do it fast, breeze, air, air, let me breathe. Okay, I, I must admit, I kind of like this poem much more than most of them I wrote through my teen years. I had a tendency to be over the top in my teens. Unfortunately, you'll be hearing some of that in the next podcast.
The repeated phrases in this poem are wake me up, sleep, and air. It's a poem about being caged in some way, of being almost drugged, but then after waking up, wanting to close everything out again, but wait, not really. I need air. It is Hansel in the cage, Snow White in her coffin, the miller's daughter in Rumpelstiltskin, locked in the basement, spinning straw into gold. As a child opening up this big heavy book, Young Years, and reading and looking again and again at the illustrations, I was well aware that these people were not real, and these places were too far away to be real, and also everything in this book was real. If a child is not read to or does not have books to read, I cannot see her becoming a poet. All of the stories out there in the world create a backdrop for our lives. We measure ourselves against them and compose poems from a place where that metaphor lives. My untitled poem is fairly dark and serious for a young girl to be writing. But fairy tales had taught me that all kinds of dark and serious things could happen in the world. It wasn't a world that I could see existing anywhere around me. Yet the emotional strength of those stories enhanced my own emotional life. In grade school, after my introduction to the fictional world of the characters in young years, I discovered a completely different kind of girl from those in the fairy tales. And this was one fictional character that I believe has been a major influence on my life since I was a child. These are the opening lines in the story about her. Way out at the end of a tiny little town was an old overgrown garden, and in the garden was an old house, and in the house lived Pippi Longstocking. She was nine years old, and she lived there all alone. She had no mother and no father, and that was, of course, very nice, because there was no one to tell her to go to bed just when she was having the most fun, and no one who would make her take cod liver oil when she much preferred caramel candy. I probably first read Astrid Lindgren's story in a school library book. At the school library, I learned to go beyond young years and adventured into imaginative worlds that propelled me into my own writing. I read constantly, usually a book every day or two. I read every book in the library and used mom's library card to the county library in Pryor, where there were even more books. Pippi was the perfect person, in my opinion. She lived alone and did what she wanted. Her favorite hobby was thing-finding. I'm also a thing-finder, from my early experience with the treasure hunt mentioned in the last podcast. I own a rummage store, and I love finding things in the donations we receive there. I am always picking up things I find. Notes someone has dropped, pieces of string, bits of glass, interesting rocks. I wasn't crazy about any school subject, like Pippi. She didn't see the point of math, and when the teacher asked her, Can you tell me what seven and five are? Pippi said, Well, if you don't know that yourself, you needn't think I'm going to tell you. Pippi Longstocking was a poet. While saving children from a fire, 
she stops to sing and dance. The fire is burning, it's burning so bright. The flames are leaping and prancing. It's burning for you, it's burning for me. It's burning for all who are dancing. That repetition of the word burning. Remember that feeling when you were a girl or a boy of 11 or 12 or 13? Everything was burning inside. Everything was just getting ready to explode into the world. And you were only partly keeping it contained. I kept it contained by writing and reading. Now, Pippi didn't keep it contained. She was the strongest girl in the world. I have a cat named after her. She's a tortoiseshell cat, fiercely independent, will have nothing to do with the other three cats in my house. She likes to be outside or sitting on my desk between the computer monitor and the window. In the current copy of Pippi Longstocking that I own, it's a hardbound ex-library book. A girl has written in pencil at the bottom of page 103. It says, Phyllis was here and still is. One, six, seventy-three. The dashes between the dates after the one and the six are made out of hearts. Underneath this line, Phyllis also wrote, fifth grader. It is very cool that this unknown Phyllis was in this book. And I love that she thinks she's still there. She is still there. It's also very cool that she apparently was reading the book about the same time that I would have been in 1973. Maybe Phyllis identified with Pippi as much as I did. Did you become a poet, Phyllis? If this podcast, which is going back to the 1960s, survives all the way forward to the present time, there will be much talk about the writing that people do in the margins of books. That's another one of my obsessions, which many of you probably know. At the end of a picnic in this book, Anika and Tommy sing this bland little song that could have been straight out of the poetry section of young years. In the jolly summertime, through field and wood we make our way. Nobody's sad, everyone's gay. We sing as we go, holla, holo. You who are young, come join in our song. Don't sit home moping all the day long. Our song will swell through wood and dell and up to the mountaintop as well in the jolly summer time. Yada, 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 yada. But then when Pippi joins in with the song, she makes up her own verse. In the jolly summertime, through field and wood I make my way. I do exactly as I wish, and when I walk it goes squish-squish, squish-squish, squish-squish. And my old shoe, it's really true, sometimes says chip and sometimes chew. For the shoe is wet, the bull sleeps yet, and I eat all the rice porridge I can get. In the jolly summer time, I squish wherever I go. Squish-o! Squish-o! It's pretty tough to get better poetry than that, my friends. I'm aware 
<clears throat> I'm really well aware of this motif of absent parents, either one or both, that runs throughout children's stories. Think almost every fairy tale character you can imagine, and also Harry Potter, Huck Finn, everything Rule Doll ever wrote. Kids who read these stories get to live vicariously through the singular adventures of the child heroes on their own. Now, the adventure must be the complete opposite of what it is really like to lose your parents as a child. For girls, if they find a strong female role model, they may be okay. And in fiction, the girls will be okay too. They have a fairy godmother or some kind of ingenuity or a spirit or a sprite or poetry to help them out. I can't conceive of growing up without poetry and without the books that I found it in. I was surrounded by books. And still, I imagine all it takes to make a strong girl is one good one. And Young Years was a great start for me.